So my friend Jason, a few weeks ago, asked me uh, what my conversion story was. And I feel like I just was at a loss for a second. And I looked at him kind of blankly. And I, I felt like saying like, well, I don't know, I don't have one. And I think by that, um, I guess it's, it's hard to ever really claim to be converted. You know, I'm still at the point where I'm super holy one week or one month. And I'm like, yeah, like I am praying. I am reading the scripture. I'm going to mass. Man, there was never a Christian like me. And then the next week, you know, I'll meet someone super hot and I'll have a dramatic fall from grace. And, you know, um, you know, so and I hate to say that, um, I by no means encourage it. I guess my point in mentioning it is to uh, put it out there that it happens and that it's okay. It's okay in that it's not a reason to say, I can't be a Christian. I can't follow Christ. Um, Even when you have those moments where you're like, wow, I really wish, I, I thought that I was beyond this. And I guess I'm not. I know that, you know, you can just be filled with dismay. But, um, you know, I think about the that part in the Bible where Jesus is described as carrying his cross and um, he falls. He's carrying his cross and he falls three times. And uh, I feel like it was once just to show us that it happens, twice to show us that it's okay. And the third time to really just hammer in that, man, this just keeps happening. And yet he kept going. There was never a moment, even after the third fall, where he was just like, you know what? I've fallen three times already. So goodbye, cross. Like, I'm clearly unworthy. I'm not strong enough. Um, And so that inspires me. But anyways, I digress. Um, So my personal conversion story I I can't claim it to be a success story. It's definitely not done yet. Um, And I feel like that's probably the case for most of us. You know, I feel like most of us wish that we were St. Paul and we had a dramatic conversion story where like, I don't know, an angel appeared and the Lord spaketh unto us that we shall walk in his ways forevermore. But that just doesn't happen often. It doesn't happen often. So um, I'll share mine as it is thus far. Um, I was born Catholic. I was raised Catholic. I've always been Catholic. To my non-Catholic listeners, I'll just say Catholics are Christian as well. Any baptized persons are Christians. So my point is I was raised to live by Christian truths and ideals and moral standards. Um, So you know, the thing is, at some point in time, you do really have to choose Christ for yourself. And I think for me, it's, it honestly happens every day. Like, there's never a specific point where, you know, I can completely say, like, you know, I've made it. Um, but there was a turning point in, I guess... I was really living for myself and my will. And then a turning point where I started kind of thinking about, well, what does God want from me? What is, how does he want me to live my life? Um, so anyways, I, it was around May or June of 2016. 
and I was at the time living and working in Houston. I had a stable job. I didn't love it, but it paid the bills. I had a beautiful apartment, which I loved, and the theme was white and gold, if anyone's wondering. Um, and I shopped all the time, and my life felt really empty. Um, I, I felt like I was just living for myself, which I was. Um, and, you know, at the time, like, I still had wanted, you know, to meet that love of my life by that time and be married and have kids, but I hadn't. And so I just felt, a, I guess, a profound emptiness. Um, and I was like, what, what is this for? You know, I have everything in the eyes of the world. I have everything. And yet I feel empty. And um, I was binging uh, on food all the time, like out of control. I was really struggling with bulimia. Um, and just trying to figure out my life purpose. Um, I was dating someone. We had been dating for a little while, and he was from Palestine, from the West Bank in Israel, which, as you may know, is an area rife with conflict. And he would tell me things about his home and the issues there, and I kind of realized, like, man, I could really potentially see a future with this guy. And we were fairly serious, even though looking back, I never should have dated him in the first place because, wow, so many issues. But we won't get into that in this episode, and the Lord used that relationship for his will. So good came of it. But anyways, at the end of it all, I decided I would go and visit his homeland and see for myself what was going on. Because, you know, if you're interested in someone, you kind of want to know, like, I don't know, you want to know, like, where are you from? What is what is your past? And how can I how can I better enter into that to understand what you've been through? Um, so I signed up for an intro to Arabic language course, and I bought a ticket for Israel a few weeks later. And I went to Israel, and I was, of course, moved by it. Um, the Holy Land is so full of amazing places. It's, you know, the Tomb of Christ in Jerusalem, and then there's Galilee and the Sea of Galilee and, and Bethlehem and the Dead Sea, which is actually really boring, and I recommend never going there unless you just want to float. And also, you're not even allowed to splash because it's so salty. So I was like three minutes in, and I was like, this is dumb. I'm getting out. But anyways, um, at the end of three weeks, I was like, okay, I have now legitimately seen the homeland of my potential future husband, and I am now more educated on the issues he faces and the traumas he has related to me regarding his past. Like, I'm a good girlfriend. Um, and for the record, whatever position or opinion you may take or hold regarding the Palestinian-Israeli conflict, if you're familiar with it, I think the main thing to know is that just, wow, so much trauma on both sides. Trauma, trauma, trauma. The pain is palpable on both sides, and there is a need for a lot of kindness and a lot of withholding of judgment, which is hard for me, but I try. Sometimes. Sometimes. Um, but it was on my way back from Israel while I was on the plane that something unusual happened. Um, the Lord spoke to me, and I don't have any proof that that happened. I still don't, but I'm just going to go from the effects of that moment that it was the Lord. So yeah, I'm, I'm on the plane, and I'm journaling, and I'm thinking about my time there, and I'm like, I'm ready to go home, you know? Um, and while I was there visiting these holy sites, I did not experience really 
except for one moment, I, I, there was nothing like massively profound. Or, you know, I never levitated is what I'm saying to my vast and great disappointment. There was no levitation. Um, and that can be frustrating, you know, when you go to a holy place and you're like, oh, my gosh, Jesus was here. And, um, you know, and I just remember like some of the places too, you like, you're in such a rush when you visit somewhere in a group. Um, I remember going to the Holy Sepulchre, which is the tomb of Christ. Right. And it's empty now, obviously. Um, so anyways, there was like this sacred rock and everyone was touching it and crying. And I was like, I do not know what that rock is, but by golly, I'm going to touch it. And so like I waited and I touched it and I cried over it and I like put my scarf on it. And then only later, like, did I have time to look at what it was? Um, and it was actually the anointing stone where they, when Jesus, they took his body from the cross, they put it on this rock and they washed it, you know, of all the blood and grossness. And they, you know, put the special herbs on it and whatnot. And, but when I was touching it, I had no idea, but I was like, there is grace and power in that rock and I'm going to touch it. So <laughs> anyways, so I'm on the plane and I'm just like eating crackers and like being myself <laughs> and I'm journaling. And suddenly I felt like the Lord was telling me like, <clears throat> you will go to Jerusalem and live there. <laughs> and I was like, oh man, I am schizophrenic. I am something. I don't know what I am, but I think I need meds and I need them now. And I just like, was like, I can't hear anything. I'm watching a movie now. And I just put it out of my mind because that's not sensible. I don't, you know, that's not prudent. One does not just go to Jerusalem for an indeterminate amount of time. And I was like, clearly that is not properly discerned. Clearly the devil is speaking to me. What madness. So I go home and I continue at my job. And I just find myself super depressed and like crying all the time and again, feeling so empty. And so I went and I prayed in front of this picture of Jesus and um, it's called the divine mercy image. And it's just Jesus like looking very merciful. And um, it's just a beautiful picture. And I was like, Lord, why am I so miserable? And he was like, "Um, did you go to Jerusalem yet? And I was like, no. And so there was that moment. And even then I stalled for another two weeks. And then I think the Lord was done with me. So I had been going to adoration, which is just where you, um, where you, you know, as Catholics, we believe that the Eucharist, that bread is the actual body and blood of Christ, that that is Christ, that he is the literal bread from heaven. You know, when they do the special blessing that Jesus um, takes on that form and then we take him into ourselves so that we can literally be one with him. And so as Catholics, sometimes they take that, you know, what appears to be a piece of bread and they put it in a room and it's in a glass case and you can spend time with it, with Jesus. And, um, so I, and just pray. So I went to adoration that day and I'm just like praying. And the Lord again was like, Kelsey, quit your job now. And I was like, actually, I just got up. I didn't even say anything. I just got up and I walked out. I just left and sat in my car. And I was like, Lord, what? No. And I was so upset. I cried. But it was like this. It was like this feeling of like, I really need to do this. And um, so anyways, I, I think honestly, I, I lasted a few days with that one. And then I went in and I... um. 
I told my boss I was leaving. Um, and so, and so, yeah, um, I remember people just telling me that, like, essentially I was so dumb. And I wondered the same thing myself, you know, um, to give up your position, to give up any seniority that you build up at a certain job. And I was still, I wasn't even three years in as a nurse. And, and then there were the people too, who were like, you know, they would be like, you will surely be sold as a sex slave. And then there were the ones who were, you know, just convinced that I would be blown up immediately upon exiting the aircraft. And, um, if not, you know, knifed simultaneously. Um, and so all these things, um, but I quit my job and I started Googling. I literally just Googled volunteer opportunities in Jerusalem. And I was like, Lord, I know that, that it's it's not you who told me to do this. So if it is you, I'm not going unless you provide me room and board. And I know that you won't do that. No one can do that because as a volunteer, like you sometimes have to pay to volunteer, you know, especially overseas. You have to pay like $1,000 a month to be hosted, you know, with a host family. And so lo and behold, then I get this email from these two nuns and they're like, yeah, we have this house in Jerusalem for these disabled children. Um, we can provide you with a visa, with room and board and with, you know, a few hundred shekels a month. And I was like, oh, man, this is real. And so um, I, I just signed up. Um, and the few months between me quitting my job and then flying out to Jerusalem that November, I think I quit my job in August. Those were terrifying for me. And um, I used those months uh, doing a number of things. But one of the things was uh, helping my sister out when she was pregnant and she was on bed rest and there was nobody to help take care of her and her home and her toddler. And, you know, um, she just kind of looked around and, and there I was jobless and I was able to help her. So I feel like the Lord really used that that time well. But at any rate, those few months were really hard because I was just like, Lord, I, I don't know if this is you. I don't know if I'm just a religious nut job, you know, and there was no one who could tell me if I was or was not following God's voice. Um, I did email my pastor at the time and I was like, I think God wants me to go to Jerusalem. Ha <laughs> ha. Um, but I never got a response. It was just silence. And he was really busy. So um, and so then I went to confession and I, you know, confessed it because I felt so guilty about quitting my job and giving up, you know, a, a career, a livelihood while I had student loans that, you know, I considered it could potentially be sinful. And and yet I couldn't really resist this urge to go to Jerusalem any longer. So I went to confession in this in the cathedral in downtown Houston, the Sacred Heart Co-Cathedral. And it was this little old priest, and he was so kind, and he had no idea what I was talking about. I just went in, and I bawled out something about, like, the Lord wants me to give up everything for him, and is that okay? And he was like, you have God's blessing. And so I just ran with it. And so at any rate, I went to Israel. Um, I spent three months there, and I was convinced that that would satisfy the Lord. And so I left again after three months um, and moved to New York. Uh, only to return to Israel a year later, uh, that time to remain over 15 months, which I have a lot to say about. Uh, but I think that the point of this story is that God taught me a lot during my time in Jerusalem. And I think the biggest thing was just to say yes when he asks you to walk out on the water. And um, the thing about that is 
you may never actually know if it's him asking you to walk out on the water or just your imagination. And that's honestly the worst and scariest part. Um, But at the end of the day, in my particular circumstance, my final thought and prayer was, as it still is when I face discernment questions, um, do number one, do I feel like the Lord is calling me to do this or that there's a potential that it's him? Number two, am I capable of it? Like, can I make it work? Even if I have to pull some strings, um, like getting a volunteer visa, quitting my job, you know, whatever. And number three, do I kind of want to, you know, like part of me is really scared, but also part of me wants to find out. Um, And I'm not including the fourth element, which maybe I should, but like, it's obviously like, is it sinful? Like, if you feel like the Lord's telling you to like, go stab your friend, probably not him, you know, like, Rediscern. Take that opportunity to like take some time in prayer. Um, don't do that. And you know, if I had had a husband and five children, and I would be abandoning them to go answer some call somewhere, that also would have been pretty bad, pretty sinful, like not charitable. Uh, you should never abandon your responsibilities, you know, and the people given to you. Um, so as it was, it was hard and scary to go there you know, not knowing anyone or speaking Arabic or Hebrew, but it wasn't actually sinful. So I couldn't like use that excuse to throw out the Lord as a reason that I couldn't do it. Oh, and also if you are interested in doing what I did and volunteering in the Holy Land, just Google St. Vincent Ein Karim. Ein Karim is E-I-N-K-A-R-E-M. Or go to svaka.org And you'll find their website. And you will, like I said, get a few hundred shekels a month so that you can buy toilet paper. Um, In one of my next podcast episodes, I do want to dive further into discernment because so many people have asked me, like, well, how do you know? Like, when it's God's voice? And like, how do you know? And I just want to be like, I don't know. I still don't know. Um, Unless you're one of those blessed people like Moses who gets things written to them on stone tablets. Um, I never got a stone tablet. Like, I'm still waiting on mine, you know? So, like, at, at some point, you do just kind of have to take the plunge and see if, if the water supports your weight or if you sink like a rock and go from there. Um, so, if you're interested in that discussion, please, uh, I guess, tune in for that episode. And then one more thing I would like to add, uh, this is all part of my own story and my own walk with Christ. And it goes without saying that not everyone's paths or fights or battles or whatever are going to look like mine and vice versa. But um, one of the main things I want to share that I love about the Lord is that he does take you where you're at. I would have thought that no one could go to the Holy Land and work with disabled kids and be called by God to do such a thing unless they were already a saint, unless they were really holy, free from disorders, free from sinful habits, free from everything. But I wasn't, and I'm still not. And the Lord totally called me to do that. Um, You know, so, and I feel like I want to share this anecdote about how I feel on this subject, and um, it has to do when, uh, with when I climbed the actual mountain of temptation. Um, and so the Mount of Temptation is right outside of Jericho, and it is, um, it's the mountain that Jesus went to. He had been in the desert, and it's in the, de- in the desert, like it's so hot and dry, um, and he had been fasting and praying for 40 days. And at the end of those 40 days, um, the biblical story 
um, finds us with Jesus. We're standing on this mountain and the devil comes after him and tempts him. And he's like, Jesus, like I have some water, I have some food. And Jesus is like, no, like man does not live on bread alone. And then he's like, Jesus, like I'll give you all the kingdoms and the power and like the glory. And Jesus is like, get back, Satan. And you know, all the right things. Um, And so my point is like when Jesus climbed the Mount of Temptation, he did it so well, you know, and so I considered it to be my duty. Like I'm also going to climb the mountain of temptation. Um, And (laughs) and so uh, I climbed up that dry, dusty path, um, you know, laboring and sweating. And as I did so, I just reflected on like, man, the Lord did this. And like he had not drunk anything for 40 days. And I guess like the Christian that I'm going to be someday would have done likewise and would also have like fasted and prayed that day, you know, or would like climb whilst repeating devoutly like the Divine Mercy Chaplet. I was sipping on an ice cold Diet Coke. And um, I would just like to say that that is a microcosm of what I look like following Christ. I don't do it good. I just don't. I don't like to be uncomfortable. I find it hard to give up bad habits, which include Diet Cokes. Um, And my point in telling you all this is that the Lord will take you where you're at. And you do not, do not put off following in his footsteps until you can do it perfectly without your Diet Coke, until you're Diet Coke free. You come as you are and you don't delay doing so until you've reached perfection. Because guess what? You never will. You have to come as you are and you have to climb the dry, dusty mountain very imperfectly with your crutches and your Diet Coke and needing special help. And you won't look glorious or overly saintly doing it, but you will be freaking following the Lord Diet Coke in hand. And by that, I mean with all of your issues in hand. And I remember thinking like, Lord, I'm sorry I have my Diet Coke, but like, man, it's good. <laughs> and like, and I felt like he was taking me by the hand that day and just saying like, Kelsey, come follow me. Yes, I know you haven't beaten your Diet Coke addiction yet, but come and follow me anyways. And sooner or later on our journey, the Diet Coke will fall off. You know, that's not the main thing. The main thing is, can you come walk with me? Because I want you now. You know, don't delay. Don't wait until you're perfect. Um, You know, and if you have to walk with the Lord whilst shamefacedly sipping on your carbonated beverages, please do so, you know, and just know that, like, I'll be right there with you. You're in good company or like, okay company. Um, (laughs) So, yeah. um, And yeah, I just want to say, keep listening.